G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Um, we'll pray in a few moments, but let me uh, make a few notes of, just of context. Um, so today we're starting a, a brief series, just a few weeks, um, on a topic which I trust lies very close to um, all of our hearts, actually, of every single one of us. So I think we care about this topic um, for our own sake, for ourselves. I think we care about this topic for our friends, and perhaps particularly um, if they're, and as they're going through hard times and, and dark times and difficult times. Um, I think we care about it for our parents um, and perhaps as they, for many of us, are now frail and ageing. It's my mum's 70th birthday today, actually, um, so I might have to head off just after church to go to lunch with her, which is lovely, but I care about it for her. Um, I think we care about this topic um, for... Let me just adjust this. I think we care about this topic as well for our children. Um, whether our own children or just the young people around about us in our orbit who we have some influence over. Um, so, brothers and sisters, today I put it to us that we are each, there it is, looking for the good life in the real world. Are you, for yourself and for those people around about you, are you looking for the good life um, in the real world? And I say each of those little bits quite deliberately, looking um, for the good life in the real world. We are looking, that is, because, well, has any of us actually found it yet? The good life, uh, however we might define that. Um, we are looking for the good life, secondly, um, and perhaps each of us would define that a little bit differently and variously, maybe in terms of uh, work or wisdom or wealth or friends or hope or happiness or health. We're looking for the good life, but isn't this where it really comes unstuck? In the real world. In the real world, the real world where cancer lives and children are abused, the real world where you run out of money sometimes, the real world where you run out of patience sometimes. Now, the trouble with talking about the good life um, is that it's just talk. <laughs> uh, and I think we feel that very keenly. Talk about the good life, it's kind of like going on holidays, you know? You get away for a little while. Or you, uh, it's a little bit like just reading that book, having your nose buried in that, that book that's so inspiring and it tells you how you can change your life. A little bit like going on holidays, talking about the good life, where you get away and you can let your hair down and, and the weight of the world starts to slip off your shoulders just for a little while, for a week or so, maybe two if you're lucky and if you can take that amount of time off work and you have the money for it. But what happens on the very day that you come back home? back to the real world. You can see, can't you? We've all lived that experience. We know what it's like. Um, Mike Tyson, that, um, that great philosopher, um, heavyweight boxing champion, um, he once said something like, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And we come back from holiday, full of our ideas about the good life, and we get punched in the mouth, don't we, by the real world. We're looking for the good life in the real world. So these three weeks, can we spend them looking for the good life in the real world with our Bibles open and with Jesus at the centre of it all? Um, I plan to anticipate three punches over these three weeks. Uh, striving and dissatisfaction, firstly, that's going to be this week. Secondly, next week, suffering and sadness. 
suffering and sadness next week, and finally, sin and disappointment with ourselves. So, uh, firstly, this week we strive so hard, we work until we are weary, we, we still find the good life slippery and elusive, even though we give it our all, we give it our best. Um, next week we suffer, um, or we look on as other people suffer and are in pain. How can we find the good life in a groaning world? That's next week. And, and then thirdly, we let ourselves down, we drop our bundle, we sin, we become our own worst enemy. We tend to sabotage our own efforts toward seeking the good life. That's our third week. How do we bring the good news of Jesus to our search for the good life? How about we pray together and then we'll dive into this week's topic. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, what a thing it is to call on a heavenly father, heavenly father, not just another earthly father, not just another a mere man, caught up in the same frustrations and inabilities and frailty as us, but we call on a heavenly father, a person, a God, a father to us from the outside. Lord, would you refresh us, please, with your heavenly word, a word from heaven, that word from heaven come to earth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you refresh us, please, this morning? Father, we know that you are good and all good comes from you, And we confess too that we are in the habit of diluting and polluting our sense of what's actually good. We chase so-called goods which are no good at all. Father, would you recalibrate our hearts, realign our lives, that we might live good lives in the real world for Christ's glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, could we just start with this important point? And um, maybe in this audience, maybe in this congregation, maybe it doesn't need saying, but I feel like, well, it's, it's a fairly important starting point and it could be lost. Here's the point where I want to begin, that God loves the good life. Now, why would I start there, that God loves the good life? It's because, am I right in this? Perhaps the impression of Christianity or us Christians, us church-going types, our public reputation is perhaps that we don't really have a good life, um, don't really aspire to one, don't have a life in that popular sense um, of the term, and perhaps it's because our God just doesn't see our happiness or pleasure or life as particularly important in the grand scheme of things. So that's why I want to start here. And I just want to at least say, hang on a sec, let's take a look at our Bibles here for a minute. When you look at the pages of our Scriptures, I think we see a pleasure in, a delight in, an aspiration for, can we say that, a beautiful life for human flourishing in the pages of Scripture that pleases God, that looks lovely and is wonderful, is enviable even, is the kind of life that you would love to live. God doesn't just kind of know about it, but hope that His people never figure it out. No, God invented it. God created it. This is the kind of good life that's uh, um, uh, patterned in the Scriptures for us. It was His idea. Could we just start there? And I know it's winding back the clock to a very familiar um, little bit of the Scriptures. Uh, Let's jump back to the very beginning for a moment in Genesis chapter 1. Please come with me there. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, where we read, God blessed them. And it's obviously talking about Adam and Eve there in the beginning, there in the garden. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves 
on the ground. And that's not an exploitative rule. Um, it is a, a peaceable and, uh, you know, mutually flourishing rule as we uh, would find if we read it in context. Verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he'd made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And if we skip ahead now and look a little bit further afield in, in the Bible from the very beginning, uh, skip ahead. Um, yes, we find in this will be in slightly outdated sort of agricultural sounding terms, but the good life is absolutely something that God intends for us, means for us, wants to cultivate amongst his people um, so let's skip ahead now to say Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28, if you're following along um, on your lap, turn that up, Deuteronomy 28, where God makes all sorts of promises to his then people, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, um, as they're sort of on the cusp, really, of entering their promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, uh, and here are the promises that he makes, and they sound good. Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough, right, for making bread will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They'll come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. That's a good thing, by the way. Uh, the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. Now, why do I read these? Why do I read these ancient sort of agricultural images and pictures and uh, metaphors? It's simply to say, if you would love to live the good life. Have you seriously reckoned with this, that the good life, the great life, the blessed life, the rich life, those were the design of God, come from Him, His idea, He invented it, He created it, He came up with it. Um, it probably warrants thought, has my pursuit of the good life in my life so far to date, largely left the God of the good life entirely out of the picture? Equally though, and as um, Doug read to us earlier, the Bible's nobody's fool, is it, about the frustration that every human being confronts as we try to chase the good life, as we look for it in this real world. Um, and Ecclesiastes, the picture there, in many ways, it's awful, isn't it? Puts into words exactly the things that we feel um, in, the, in the pages of Scripture, because our efforts do just seem so jolly futile at times. Or even at best, they win us the good life, but it is so fleeting. God knew that that was coming 
In fact, he promised it. So right back again in the, in the beginning, Genesis 3, um, just after the snake and the garden and the fruit and all of the rest, uh, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. He's speaking to Adam there right back in the beginning. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will, you will return. And is it fair to say, I think sometimes we think that, look, the Bible's message to workers, uh, whether, you're, whether it's paid employment or just hard work in, in the home or whatever it is, the Bible's message to workers, I think sometimes we imagine, is basically this, it's just, look, you've got to try hard. You've got to try really hard and don't cut corners and don't cheat the boss and don't backstab and don't slack off when there's nobody watching you. Do it right, my hardworking, loyal ones, and you'll get there. It'll all work out for you. And then we flop onto the couch, absolutely spent after yet another week. And where do they go? The weeks go so fast absolutely spent asking ourselves, and it, it was all for what? You know, what have I actually gained? I'm so exhausted, I'm so spent, I'm, and for what? Is that something like your work in the real world? Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, Alain de Botton, um, not a Christian man, uh, he, he paints a picture of a Friday evening in one worker's life, and I'm not saying it's every Friday evening for everyone, but can we hear a little bit of Ecclesiastes? Can we hear a little bit of the real world? Can we find ourselves here just some of the time, I wonder? So, so this bloke, he's at the end of another long week uh, in, from an office job, actually, and uh, de Botton uh, describes it like this. He says, he is impatient and restless, but simultaneously exhausted and fragile he is in no state to engage with anything significant. It is, of course, impossible to read, for a sincere book would demand not only time, but also clear emotional lawn around. For this particular combination of tiredness and nervous energy, the sole workable solution is wine. Office civilization would not be feasible without the hard takeoffs and landings affected by coffee and alcohol. The final approach will be made under the benign guidance of a Chilean cabernet and the hypnotic, untroubling retelling of the day's misdemeanours and cataclysms on the evening news. Or perhaps we should add in there, Netflix and a beer or two. I undertook great projects. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. And the story goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Down at verse 22, what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labours under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. 
This too is meaningless. And folks, I guess I want to ask us this morning, if you can recognise yourself in any of that, looking for the good life, is that really the best we can manage? Is that really the best that we can muster? Every man for himself, every woman for herself, do as much as you can, do it as fast as you can, and then enjoy it for as long as you possibly can before you die. Or perhaps more depressingly, before it starts to slip from your grasp slowly and painfully, more on that next week, work for it and cling to it. Is that the good life in the real world, really? I think we have a hunch, don't we, that that is a hopeless way to live. But is it how we're living anyway? How many of us do anyway? Why are you slogging your guts out right now? Everyone's busy, everyone's exhausted, everyone squeezes this in and makes time for that. Do you have a reason to think that you will ever find the good life in this real world with the way that you're going about it? And and see, it's here, it's with that backdrop that I reckon Jesus' words to us in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount ought to startle us surprise us, make us sit up and really listen because he says something that makes absolutely no sense. It is totally bonkers to that kind of pursuit of the good life. He basically says, doesn't he, isn't it time you left the good life behind? Turn with me to Matthew 6, if you would, please. Isn't it time you gave up on the good life? What is he crazy? Is he lost? Let's have a look together at Matthew 6. Have another listen here from verse 19. We'll pick it up from there, verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus bluntly says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And skip down a little bit further. He says a similar thing from a different angle, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And he's not being derisive. Pagan there isn't this insulting term. It just means, one, you know, from around a non-Jewish religious um, p- person, not a, not a worshipper of the one God. The pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, what's Jesus saying there? Isn't he saying, if you've spent your life, you know, toiled and laboured and built and, and become weary in all of the normal ways, yes, everyone's doing it, everyone around us is doing it. Searching the good life in those, looking for the good life in the real world, everyone may be doing it, running around, seeking treasure for him or herself, if you live that way, I think Jesus is saying, you are living for too little. If you set your love on that kind of a good life, you are settling for a life that is pitifully small. Isn't that what Jesus is saying there? 
To put that another way, the good life starts... See, when does the good life start? Not when you finally build that or buy that or can afford that or, or, or win her heart for that matter or win his heart. The good life doesn't start when you finally... The good life starts with this realisation before Jesus, my life isn't about my treasure. In fact, my life isn't particularly about my life. I think that's what he's saying there. Have another, did you notice that? Verse 33, have a look at verse 33 with me there of Matthew chapter 6, all in the context of this, don't seek treasure on earth, do seek treasure in heaven. And what's he talking about? The realisation is that my life isn't particularly about my life because verse 33, but seek first his kingdom. It's talking about God, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, the good life, is this what Jesus is saying with that all these things will be given to you as well? The good life is Jesus saying, well, if you... um, seek after the things of God, then you'll get the treasures of this world? That's how to really get the treasures of this world? You just have to play the system a little bit. You just have to play God. So, look like you're serving God for a while and then you'll get the treasures. I don't think God can be fooled. He's nobody's fool in that way. The good life, rather, is this what Jesus is saying. You will only find it once you've genuinely stopped looking for it. So it's kind of like the Philosopher's Stone in Harry Potter, if you're familiar with that first book. Or, or like those, um, you, you know when you're standing out in the, uh, under the night sky and it's a clear sky and you're looking up at the stars? Uh, just the way our eyes work with the rods and cones and stuff. You, you, there are some stars that are so faint in the sky that when you're looking straight at them, you can't quite see them. But when you look just to the side, you can see them. Do you know what I mean? Just the way the rods and cones and low light and all of that stuff picks up. You'll only find the good life when you have stopped searching for it. Isn't that extraordinary? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The one who created the good life knows when he's being played. The one who created the good life is telling you how to find it. Um, so come with me, friends, if we could, to Philippians chapter 2. Um, and let me give you the whole thing now. So Philippians chapter 2, flick over there with me in your, in your Bible. Paul's letter to the um, Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Uh, there we go, Colossians, Philippians chapter 2. Let me give you the whole thing. So contrary to what our world may have us believe, the illusion that the good life is just almost within your reach. Work a little harder, strive a little more, get a little smarter about how you're pursuing it. You're nearly there. And then you can have it forever. That is a lie. That's an illusion. You will not be able to have it. It is a bankrupt exercise that has lost sight of the God who invented the good life. Contrary to that illusion, Jesus says that the good life is given to us as a gift from our Father who already loves us, already knows what we need in advance and knows what the real world is really like. This is His word to us. How do we know what the good life looks like? How do we live the good life in practice? We know what it looks like because our God came and lived the good life in the real world. So let's have a look at what the good life looked like in the real world from Philippians chapter 2 and could look like for you. So are you ready? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. 
where we read, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then Paul says to the Philippian Christians, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Now, how does that look? He gives us an example. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, may I be so bold as we move towards a a conclusion here. May I be so bold as to ask two things, or maybe it's really a, a veiled assertion, really, assert two things. Firstly, perhaps too many of us are looking for the good life as if you could ever find it without the God who made it, who desires it for us. In fact, who will one day lead us home to it, the real treasure, the lasting kingdom, the day when, what does it say there, every knee shall bow to the Lord Jesus. Perhaps too many of us are looking for the good life as if we could find it without God. Um, And secondly, perhaps too many of us imagine that we can live a better life than the Lord Jesus. When our God models the good life in the real world for us, perhaps many of us kind of think that we ought to be able to live a better life than He did when He came and embodied it for us, that Christ's subjects, in other words, deserve a good life, a better life than our master, that it would be somehow fitting for us to have a good life, thanks very much, and that the whole business of giving up earthly good, well, that was his lot, but I've got a life to get on with and get things for, for myself. Consider others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, took the very nature of a servant, humbled himself. Here it is, folks, the the goodness of Christ's life lay precisely in the fact that he sought the good life for us. The goodness of Christ's life lay precisely in the fact that he sought the good life for us, for others. There's the good life in the real world. Will you live that good life, Christian? I put it to you, that is the Christian good life, receiving life from Christ, first of all. It's the only place you'll find real life. Leading others to the good life that's found only in Him. How about we pray together? Our Father God in heaven, we thank you that the good life um, is indeed within reach. Actually, we thank you for that because you've given it to us. 
We thank you for the Lord Jesus who came and was spent for us. Has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. Lavished on us, your adopted children. Beloved and known. Teach our hearts, would you please, O God. That we need not manufacture or build or cling to or fight others for the good life. Father, would you forgive us, please, where we have bought into our culture's definition of the good life as a, a treasure that we earn and amass and defend and hold on to. Forgive us, please, for pursuing the good life of this world for six days of the week and then coming up for a breather for just one day in our week. Forgive us for pining after the good life in purely earthly, godless terms when we see it in her, with her lot and her looks and her life. Forgive us, please, for the envy and jealousy and the comparisons that consume us so much of the time. Father, we are weary, many of us, from striving so hard and labouring so long, and yet we find that the real world gives us no lasting reward or relief. What we have will never be enough, and we can't hold on to it long enough anyway. We can't stretch it out for longer. O oh Lord, have mercy, please. Satisfy our hearts in Christ, please. Give us perseverance to the day of Christ's return, please. May we come to Christ and find rest for our weary souls again. May we come to Christ and find the good life as a gift again and afresh. May we come to Christ and pursue a different kind of goodness altogether. May we come to Christ and find a good life unfolding before us where we can help others find the good life too in Christ. And finally, Father, at this time of year especially, um, we ask for something very specific. We ask that our view of the good life would be evident as we start to give and receive Christmas gifts, these earthly treasures. May we have the presence of spiritual mind to remember the true treasure of Christmas, the treasure that we received by faith and can give away freely anytime. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.